Hello, everyone. This is the Stronghold Podcast. This is episode one of Fight Talk. We're doing a little bit of a different format today for this one because uh, I had some people giving me some shit about the fact that we needed to talk more about fights and nobody wants to hear my political opinion. So fair enough to you. I'll keep them for myself. Uh, (laughs) I think Darren Tay, whoever commented on my video, if uh, you're watching this, this is for you, buddy. At first, I thought you were just a hater, but apparently after I listened to the last podcast with my hair, I kind of agreed with you that most of my dedicated audience that are going to listen to this every week care more about my martial arts insight than my political insight. So this one's for you, buddy. At first, I thought you were just a hater, but after I listened to it, uh, I think you had a point. So the way that I'm going to do it moving forward is I'm going to split the podcast. So I'm going to do about 45 minutes, something like that, for uh, just a dedicated fight talk. And then I'm going to still do the, the Stronghold podcast as I was doing it before with guests and, uh, but we're going to shorten it up so I can try to keep it nice and tight. That one will try to go somewhere around an hour, around an hour and 15. I've got uh, Shinya, the coach from Synergy. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt. He's going to come on in a little bit as soon as I finish this one. And then me and him are going to talk, talk some martial arts, talk some jiu-jitsu and all that kind of stuff. But uh, from now on, this one I'm going to dedicate specifically to covering MMA. So we'll cover one. We'll cover uh, the UFC. We'll cover all that shit. Uh, but Darren Tay, if you're listening, this is for you, man. I increased the volume. I changed the whole format of the show. If you like this format better, uh, give me some comments. Let me know if you like this one, and uh, we'll keep doing it moving forward. If this one's whatever, then maybe we'll flip back to the other format. Just uh, leave your comments and let me know, and I'll try to give you some uh, bullshit-free fight talk, okay? So first thing I want to talk about is uh, the, big, the big deal that everybody over the weekend probably saw, which was Ev Ting versus Amir Khan, and uh, quite a controversial fight. Um, it was a really close fight. I thought I rewatched it today. So Amir Khan from Evolve fought Ev Ting. And I thought this would be a cool one for me to break down also because in case you don't know, I've actually trained with both of these guys. Um, I trained with uh, Amir at Evolve. would have been years ago. I think he was probably a blue belt back then. This would have been 2015, 2014, back when I was training at Evolve. I think he was a blue belt. I would have been a purple belt back then. Uh, so I've rolled with him, and then I also rolled with uh, Ev Ting when I was in KL. He came and trained at Clinch. Actually, Clinch was the gym that a lot of those guys got their start at, including, uh, not the start, but they all they all kind of opened up this gym together along with Chris, who was the owner at the time, and that includes like Ev and Keanu and Gianni Suba, and uh, I think Aguilan trained there for a bit, um, Matt Polino, who was on a podcast before, and Chris Lowe, who's the guy that uh, owned the gym that I used to work at, they all kind of trained at this gym that started in KL. So Ev came in, got to roll with him. He's a really cool guy, had some drinks, chilled out. Uh, and I got to say, his jiu-jitsu, both, I only rolled with him. I didn't do any stand-up sparring with him. But I, got, I figured that their grappling was about the same level, to be honest. Because uh, when I rolled with them, they both have different styles. When I rolled with Ev, he was, you know, he was trying to like backstep and do heel hooks and shit like that. So it wasn't... MMA specific training, but uh, he's really good, really solid. The dude's built like a brick shit house. He's as like wide as he is tall. Really, really thick legs, but kind of short guy. I think he's about five nine. Um, so this fight was really competitive. Uh, I thought it wasn't a robbery, but I thought that Ev won the fight. Uh, I spoke to Major, commented on a post that I shared that everybody apparently at the arena kind of booed the decision, which is interesting because. Uh, Amir is a Singaporean fighter and the fights took place in Singapore so that makes it seem like that the crowd thought that Ev won and uh, most of the people that I watched the fight with thought that Ev won and uh, now Chatri, the Chatri Sidutong, he's the president of one he also came out and said that he thought Ev won 
So a bit controversial, but I rewatched the fight today, and I wrote down a couple of things because I wanted to give a nice, fair, objective breakdown for the fight. Because you know, there's no disrespect to I- either guys, and I'm not a hater on either one of them. But uh, I rewatched it, and you know, one does this different scoring. They don't score the fight round by round; they do it as a whole, and uh, that's kind of ambiguous. I don't even really know what that means. They score it as a whole. It's kind of hard to have an objective scoring criteria when it's not limited by time because if you go round by round I thought that Ev clearly won about a 29 to 28 decision if it was the UFC I think Ev wins a clear-cut decision but this one thing where they score it by a whole fight and damage matters more than other things like control and pressure and um, so basically in round one it was a pretty even even round they both got each other down to the ground briefly but uh, the big story of round one was Amir Khan landed a nice elbow cut Ev all up, and he had this cut that he was fighting the whole rest of the fight. In fact, I think that that cut is probably what won Amir the fight. Uh, but the first round was very competitive. Amir was pressuring. I thought he was doing a good job keeping the center, and it was good back-and-forth fighting. Once the second round started, there was a bit of a shift. I saw Amir Khan spending a lot more time with his back on the ropes, and uh you know, I think he does a lot better when he's controlling the center, but uh, Ev was pressuring him a lot, and most of the time he's, about the second half of the second round, you start to see that Amir's back is on the, the ropes the whole time. He starts circling. Actually, in the second round, you can see Ev try to, like, uh, go to Amir to come in. He's like, come on. He backs up, takes the center, and uh, encourages him to come forward. And, uh, and, you know, Amir was just content, I think, about the second half of the second round being up and then deciding that he was just going to, you know, fight not to lose instead of fight to win. But having said that, I would have given Amir the first round. And then I think in the second round, also, uh, Amir hit Ev with a really, really nice step-in elbow. So, uh, you know, after the fight was over, uh, Amir said that he thought he landed the cleaner shots. And I, I don't disagree with that. But I think he just took his foot off the gas a little too early. Um, because then by the time you got to the third round, uh, I mean, Ev was just on him. And Amir's shoulders were plastered to the ropes the whole time he was on his back foot stepping back the whole time ev also got takedowns in each round which was big uh the first round the grappling i thought was pretty even but then the second round he got a big takedown the third round he got a big takedown at the end of the round i thought that really cemented the the decision win for him and uh, you know he was pressuring him so it's a bit of a controversial fight i don't think anybody got robbed but i d- definitely think that ev should have won the fight and uh I know now that they're getting into a little bit of one shady territory because apparently Chatri came out and he he said that Ev won, which I appreciate. I appreciate the fact that he went against one of his own because uh, Amir trains out of Evolve and Chatri's, of course, the CEO of Evolve and won. So it was good for him to sort of play that game and to admit objectively who he thought won the fight. But then I heard this thing again that he always says, which is the board or the, you know, they're going to review the fight. Listen, man, if they overturn this fight, even though I think Ev won and most people think Ev won, but if they overturn this fight, it's bullshit. Like, they can't just overturn a fight because people disagree with it. It's up to the judges to make that decision. And this is going back to, uh, was it Pet Morcott and uh, Giorgio Petrosian? You know, he lost that due to some clinching rules. And then they went and overturned it after the fact. I just, I don't like that. I think they got to leave it up to the judges to do their thing. And, um, even if it's a bad decision, I think they got to honor it because once you get down that road of just having whoever the hell the board is or the committee review or whoever that unnamed person that's named Chachri is, once you have people start doing that, it's a slippery slope. And I think there needs to be an official governing body 
that makes those decisions if they're going to overturn a fight. I mean, how many times ever in the UFC have you seen them overturn a fight? I think it's basically never. I can't think of a single one. I mean, there have been some dog shit decisions in the UFC, and I don't think I can't think of a single time that they ever overturned a fight. And I don't think they should overturn this one, even though I think Ev pretty clearly won the fight. So, you know, I'm a bit torn on this one because the the decision wasn't great, and I think it's quite ambiguous how they score the fight as a whole. But, you know, it wasn't a robbery, and I thought both guys did a pretty good job. And uh, overall, I thought the fight card was pretty good. So that was a bit of a, a weird decision. Both guys fought hard, and it was a close fight. I hope they redo it. I hope they redo it in a cage, which I think could be interesting. And, uh, you know, let somebody get a definitive decision there. But you can tell the guys were clearly matched. And, you know, going forward, I just don't want them to see... I don't want to see them overturn any more of these fights. I think once the decision is met, they just got to leave it alone. Okay, so going through some more of the card. Uh, you know, I'm going to go through the guys that I've trained with specifically so and the people that are, you know, trained locally and all that kind of stuff. So Bruno Pucci fought in the prelims. You know, Bruno Pucci's been... He was actually... He was a coach of mine. When I trained at Evolve, it was when he just moved to Singapore. So he didn't really coach me that much, but he definitely coached me some. I think I probably did maybe five to ten lessons under him. Uh, this was before Angela Lee moved to Singapore and all that kind of stuff. So he was really cool to me. Actually, when I first started training under him was when he fought Major, who, of course, I had on an earlier podcast. And uh, Major and I have since become great friends. But back then, I remember going to the one fights, and I was going with Stephen Langdown. And Stephen knows knew Major at that time, and I had known Bruno because Bruno, I trained with him at Evolve. And uh, so I remember rooting for Bruno, and then uh, Steven was rooting for Major. And then, of course, you know, Major soccer kicked the bejesus out of him and knocked him out. And I remember being pretty bummed out at the time. Of course, later on, I became good friends with Major. But uh, anyway, so I trained with Bruno. His jiu-jitsu is legit, really, really good, high level. But, you know, you run into the problem with a lot of these Brazilians, which is that their styles don't adapt to MMA very well. And, you know, in this fight, he fought a really tough Japanese guy, uh, Kami Kubo. I think his record was like 11-1 and one or 10-1 and one going into this fight. And the guy's a beast, man. He's got really good, really good takedowns, really good wrestling, good submission defense. And, and you see it a lot with these Brazilian fighters uh, in the UFC and in one, but specifically in one, that their games are not fully well adapted to MMA. They're very good at scrambling for submissions. They're very good at... Uh, getting the submissions, the actual finishing skills themselves. But when it comes to control, when it comes to mat returns, which is like you take someone down, you hold them down, you keep them on the mat. And when it comes to damaging people from a control to a finishing sequence, I think they tend to lack the skills in those areas. And the reason that they do is because the jiu-jitsu style, for all you BJJ nerds out there, you know how a jiu-jitsu class is. Most of the time, you slap hands, you fist bump, one person takes the top position, one person takes the bottom, and then you just play, right? You, you play your slap hand, fist bump, jiu-jitsu, where one person assumes the top position, one person assumes the bottom position. And that's cool, man. That's really fun. You get to work your passing, you get to work your sweeping, you get to work your submissions. But MMA is a different game, and you are not obligated to play the, uh, the, the down position. And, I mean, I saw Bruno closing his guard, which is a no-no in MMA. If you close your guard with somebody on top of you, like that's got good submission defense, a wide base, and is totally willing to just sit in your guard and punch you in the face, you're going to have problems. I mean, that shit works in jiu-jitsu, especially like the gi. Playing close guard tends to be a more dominant position for the person on the bottom, but not in MMA. It's just not in MMA. 
And, uh, you know, you could see very clearly for, I mean, um, Nikami Kubo would pop out on Bruno's back and he would, or he would drop down to a single and Bruno would be trying to dig for a Kimura using both of his hands to try to attack the arm instead of like hammer fisting at the hip to try to get him to break the grip or instead of putting two hands on to break the grip and turn. He would close the guard from the bottom position. When he would get the takedown, which he did occasionally, he's passing immediately and he's trying to work to the back, which is the correct move, but he's more willing to jump on the back to the seatbelt than he's willing to actually mat return him and bring him back to the mat and ground and pound and ground and pound and wear on him and strike him until his submissions and his backs are, uh, back attacks are set up like Khabib does. Right? Khabib ties you up with an inside wrist control. He ties up your legs. He pounds on you. He pounds on you until you turn and you give the back. In MMA, when you have this very scrambly style where you're trying to jump on and take a submission, it's very tricky when people are sweating, and it's very tricky when your whole game is built around control and not around uh, striking to get a dominant position, but rather just controlling to get to a dominant position. So, I mean, even, for example, when Bruno would be, go for the takedowns, a lot of times when he was trying to take down Kami Kubo, he's getting hit while he's trying to take him down, and that is what led to the eventual break. But when Bruno's trying to take down Kami Kubo, and when he gets on type, there's very little damage that he's doing. So, you know, I think that the issue with a lot of these, uh, these guys is the wrestling. They need to work their mat returns. They need to work keeping people down once they have them down, which is a whole other game, right? When people stand up, taking them down instead of diving high up on the back and having people uh, pop out the back door, which happened a few times. Uh, so, you know, I just think that with him it will take time because he's obviously got the finishing skills. The striking is coming along. Uh, he looked more comfortable on the feet. Bruno did, I thought, this time than any other time. Um, you know, he's just still got to get that MMA-specific game going. And, uh, but, you know, it was, a, it was a good fight. That guy's good. That guy's good. You know, a lot of times the Evolve guys, when they get a loss or two, they'll give them, uh, you know, a fight that's very winnable for them. Uh, but this guy was really good. And Bruno held his own. He stayed tough. I think over time he's going he's gonna to get a good win. But uh, this Japanese guy, Kami Kubo, he's legit. Uh, look out for this guy in the future because he's, he's going to stick around. Uh, then another Evolve guy that fought, Alex Silva. You know, he had a really good fight too. His armbar, man, his armbar is nasty. His shin behind the neck armbar is really, really good. I think he's tapped three or four people with that. I think five of his wins in one are by armbar. So, man, he's got a really, really slick armbar. I trained with him a little bit at Evolve too. Uh, another guy that just crushed me. You know, really, really, really slick jujitsu. Um, I don't know if I see him getting the title back. I don't know if he can beat a guy like uh, Pacio or, um, what's his name, the Japanese guy that, that beat him for the title. I mean, I think he's another guy, too, that's got a little bit too much slap hands, fist bump, jujitsu that's not totally MMA-specific. But uh, I think he's definitely more well-rounded on the feet as well. But it's really that wrestling, man. That wrestling is what makes all the difference. Um, but he had a great fight. And then I'm just going to continue moving down the card a little bit here. So um, who else do we got? Who else do we got? Oh, we had, uh, what's it? Sage Northcutt's uh, sister. Let me find her name really quick. She made her debut. Looked like she was about nine feet tall in the fight. Uh, that's right. Colby Northcutt defeated Putri Padme. And, uh, you know, that was her first fight. I thought she did okay. I thought her style was a little bit too much karate. You know, she was bouncing around on one leg a lot, kind of poking with sidekicks and she, I don't know what the weight classes were for these fights, but she looked like she was about two feet taller than that girl that she fought, which was kind of hilarious watching it. Um, but, you know, she was only, I think she was 0-1 going into this fight, or maybe she was 1-1. The other girl was 0-1. So, you know, 
clearly physically they're very different. I mean, obviously, uh, Colby Northcutt is much more athletic than the girl that she fought. Uh, way taller, way more physical skills. But you can tell that she's still got a, a lot of ways to go when it comes to her striking, which, fair enough, she's only had two fights. So, you know, someone to look out for. I think I see some same stylistic weaknesses that she has that maybe Sage has her brother in that sense that it's that very karate sport style, uh, which, again, leaves a lot of holes. But also it gives an X factor, right? So I think over time, as time develops, she'll get more like sort of classic standing in the pocket, throwing nice straight punches, wrestling maybe like her brother. But it's going to take some time to build that. But she's, a, she's interesting to look out for in a good prospect. And then I thought uh, the main event was sick. I thought the main event was awesome. Nong Oh fought, what's his name? Like, sorry, I got all these Thai guys confused. Uh, Semapetch, Fairtex, which was a great fight. Man, I'll tell you what, I've watched Thai fights in Thailand, and the, the Muay Thai fights that one does are the best Muay Thai fights in the world. And I'll tell you why. Because in Thailand, for any of you who've ever gone to watch a fight in Thailand, or even if you look at them online, the first round is just for the betting, right? So... You know, they tend to just feel each other out in the, the Thai style, uh, in Thai boxing, especially if you go to Thailand. In the first round, they set the bets, right? So they're not actually trying to finish each other for the first round. They're being nice and light. They're kind of just poking, they're teeping, they're kicking. And then after the first round, they take the bets. And then after the bets start, then they start fighting. And then the last round, they'll either uh, put more money or more money uh, or less money on the fighter. And the last round, people will often go really, really hard. Because, uh, you know, sometimes if you're down after the second round, they'll come offer you 50,000 baht to win. If you're down in the second round, and it looks like you can't win. So they really get you motivated to fight. But that first round is usually just a, a feel them out round. But not in one, man. Those, those guys are trying to knock each other out, which I really, really appreciate. Uh, and it's a different game, too, because in the Thai boxing, they wear the bigger glove. And that, that changes the game. And they also score the kicks far more highly than the punches. But in one, you wear those small four-ounce gloves, especially with the with the, the Super Series, where they wear the four-ounce glove. Those punches are valued really highly, man. You can slip those punches in the guard in a way that you can't uh, in Thai boxing, where you often see them kind of shell up. They'll just put the gloves right in front of their face, and you know you, it's really hard to slip punches through that, that guard. But when you're wearing the four-ounce gloves, they slip through. And you see with that fight, Nongo just did a step-in cross, dropped him hard. Uh, I think that was the third time he dropped him in the fight. But, man, it was fireworks back and forth. The, the Muay Thai fights in one are sick, and they're getting some really good uh, Thai fighters fighting Thai fighters, which is really nice because a lot of times outside of Thailand, the Thais won't really fight the, the Thais anymore, especially once they get you know into their 30s, their late 20s or whatever. They kind of grow on the, the Falong World Tour, like, sort of like Sanchai is doing right now, where they leave Thailand, they get paid a lot of money to fight winnable fights against Westerners. But in one, all the Westerners are legit, which is why you see guys like Haggerty, which is why you see guys like Enahachi, um, uh, who just won, and uh, uh, Liam McGeary, I think his last name is. Uh, you see these guys, these are high, high, high-level Westerners and uh, having some tough fights with the Ties. And the Ties are also fighting the Ties, which I appreciate about this fight. So all in all, man, I thought the card was pretty good. Uh, there wasn't too much going on. Other than that, um, you know, Brown Penis took a beating. I always like watching when Brown Penis takes a beating. <laughs> There's literally this guy who fights. And I'm sorry, uh, Brown, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. But there's literally a guy who fought on this card. His name was Brown Penis. His first name was Brown. Last name, P-I-N-A-S. Brown Penis. So 
Brown Penis took a beating, you know. He tried to his best to survive, but he did take a beating, and that, that's the way it goes for Brown Penis sometimes. Uh, so other than that, I got my terrible pun in. Me and Major just started texting each other all these horrible puns about Brown Penis. I can't remember exactly what we said. Let me give you a, <laughs> a quick Major pun for all the listeners. Major sends me a message, and he goes, uh, hold on, guys, let me find this. This shit's hilarious. He goes, uh... You know, there's a guy called Brown Penis Fighting. My God, the fun we could have d- doing a fight companion for that. And he goes, Brown Penis, uh, Brown penis looks too stiff, and he's taking a beating. And then my uh, response was, I love nothing more to see people choked by Brown Penis in person. <laughs> so, Brown, I'm sorry on behalf of everyone, but, man, your parents didn't give you much of a chance with a name like that. But, uh, you know. And I feel like when the commentators talk about him and they use his name... They try to not say it, but that's his fucking name. What are you supposed to do? So, uh, you know, Brown Penis fought in the prelims. And what are you going to do? I think that's pretty much all of the MMA fights worth covering that I cared about. Um, You know, Dejan Morong fought. I I trained under him a couple classes. Like, he just held pads for me. He was uh, one of the former lightweight champions, a a Muay Thai guy. Uh, He got a TKO. He's getting a bit old. But really nice guy, man. Really, really nice guy. Sweet guy. Really fun to train with. Uh, it was good to see him get a win. But other than that, it was quite good. I'm going to cover the next one in KL. Um, should be uh, another sweet night of fights. Um, guys, if you like this form of the podcast, leave a comment. Let me know. I'm going to cover some one stuff. I'm going to cover some UFC stuff. And I'm going to title this Fight Talk. So I'm going to very specifically talk about MMA and MMA only just so you fucking nerds get your, get your fix. Um, okay, so moving on to the next bit. One thing I wanted to talk about, I'm going to try to make these like half an hour, 45 minutes, boom, just crush it. And, uh, you guys can listen to this. It doesn't need to be two hours long, but if you're not paying attention to boxing, I want you guys to pay attention to boxing because especially this weekend, uh, Deontay Wilder just fought again. Uh, he fought King Kong. Um, oh shit. What's his name? Uh, Deontay Wilder, uh, Luis Ortiz, in a rematch of a really, really close fight they had like two years ago. Man, Deontay Wilder's power is just fucking insane. He's had 42 fights, and he's had 41 knockouts. No, 40 40 knockouts. He's only two times not knocked someone out. He's got the highest knockout percentage in the history of boxing, way higher than Mike Tyson, way higher than Klitschko, way higher than Marciano, higher than everybody. And uh, he's finally starting to get his due after the Tyson Fury fight. But, man, this guy is just fucking dangerous. 40 fights, uh, 42 fights, 40 knockouts, never lost. And he just knocked out Luis Ortiz when he was down again, just like in the first fight. Uh, I mean, it was kind of close. Like, they, they landed similar, had a similar punch count. But Lu- Ortiz was landing harder. He was outboxing him. You know, it, it was close. It wasn't a runaway. But, man, Wilder threw the shortest probably straightest right hand I've ever seen him throw in his life. He normally throws these windmill punches, right, where he's just looping, looping, looping shots. But, I mean, this one was short. It was straight right down the pipe. And, I mean, uh, Ortiz stood up about eight on the eight count or so, but you could just tell that his lights were off. And, you know, Wilder's got this interesting style where he doesn't even really try to win on points. I mean, he can play that game. He's never lost. But when you have like a 96% knockout rate, what do you, I mean, he builds his game around that. He doesn't mind losing rounds to set up his power punch. I mean, even like Tyson Fury, right? I mean, I thought that fight was close. I actually gave the fight to Wilder, which I know a lot of the hardcore boxing purists say that Tyson Fury won that fight. 
But uh, I'm still in the camp of if it's razor close and you get clobbered twice, dropped twice in a razor close fight, I think uh, Wilder should win that fight. In the strictest terms of scoring per round, boxing, blah, 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 you can make the argument that Fury won. But, man, Wilder floored him and damn near killed him in that last round. I don't know how he stood up. But finally, Wilder's getting his due. But this guy is just fucking dynamite, man. He's the scariest heavyweight in the history of boxing. I mean, he should be every bit as famous as Mike Tyson. He, should, he deserves the spot over someone like Tyson Fury and for sure Anthony Joshua now that Joshua lost. I mean, Fury's slick. He's good. He's funny. But he doesn't have anywhere near the just soul-crushing power that Wilder has. And uh, he put it on display again. He was down. You know, I looked at some of the scorecards. Uh, most of the judges had him down every single round. And then one short right hand measured him up in the seventh round and then just put him away. And then once he hit him, dropped him once, he couldn't get back up like he does with everybody. I thought it was a great fight by Wilder. His punches looked straight. He wasn't going crazy. He wasn't windmilling. He carries his power late. And, uh, you know, Luis Ortiz, the only people who, person he's ever lost to is Wilder. The guy's been a pro for 10 years. He was ranked as high as like three before Wilder beat him. He was beating Wilder, then he got caught. He was beating Wilder again and got caught. Nobody wants to fight that dude. Wilder is the guy who takes more high-level fights than anybody. He knocks out everybody. Uh, for my money, he's the, he's the best heavyweight in the world right now until proven otherwise. Um, and then on the other side of the pond, you got Andy Ruiz Jr. fighting Anthony Joshua in a rematch. That fight happens in two weeks. I mean, that fight's going to be sick. Anthony Joshua was considered to be... The number one guy, along with Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, the boxing heavyweight division right now is just sick. Had three undefeated champions, all kind of trending toward each other, but you know how boxing is. They, the managers get in the way. It's not like the UFC where everybody's got to fight strong people right off the bat. Boxing's divided, and you got all these alphabet titles from different organizers, and the fucking promoters get evolved, involved, and... Eddie Hearn gets involved, and then you have people like Anthony Joshua fighting people they shouldn't be fighting, and you got fucking Tyson Fury fighting guys who he has no business fighting after the Wilder fight and before the Wilder fight, and uh, it's just kind of a bummer, but still, everything's sort of trending upward, and uh, this fight with Wilder was huge. This fight with uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. and Anthony Joshua is going to be huge. Whoever wins that fight is going to have a bunch of titles um, and then most likely will collide with whoever wins between Wilder and Fury if they do that rematch, which seems like they were talking about doing in February. So my hope is that sometime next year we have a unified boxing champion for the first time since the Klitschko's. Um, and man, if it's, if it's Deontay Wilder, if he puts both those guys away and gets to the title, becomes undisputed, unified, lineal champion with fucking 97% knockout rate. He should just quit and retire as the best and most fearsome puncher, boxing heavyweight champion in the history of the sport. There's nobody. Ali, Frazier, Foreman, Klitschko, Tyson, Holyfield, Riddick Bowe. None of these all-time greats have anywhere near the knockout percentage that he does. So, I mean, he's just a fucking freak. And uh, just put it on display again. So at the end of next year, if he manages to capture all those titles, the guy should just drop it and go down as the best heavyweight in the history of boxing. And uh, if not, you know, you could have a really interesting sh title fight between Tyson Fury 
and Anthony Joshua, who are both British. So, you know, if Fury gets past Wilder and then Anthony Joshua beats Ruiz, you have a really fun fight with two British champions there. If Andy Ruiz beats uh, beats Joshua, you know, he's kind of like the Cinderella story of boxing right now. All dad butted up, bought it up, looking fat as fuck, knocking out Anthony Joshua, who looks like a Greek god. So, I mean, if he wins, it'd be a really interesting fight between Wilder or uh, Fury. I would favor both of those guys against Ruiz, but Ruiz shocked the world with his fight against Joshua. So it remains to be seen. A lot of people, I think Joshua is still the favorite for their fight, but a lot of people are picking, picking Ruiz again for the upset. So, guys, if you're not watching boxing, at the very least, I know in Asia they tend to only watch the Pacquiao fights, but if you're... Uh, Looking for another combat sport to wet your whistle, check out the heavyweight division in boxing right now because it's the best it's been since the 90s. Since the Holyfield-Tyson era, you had the snoozer of a decade where the Klitschko's were on top, but uh, the shit's fire right now, so you should check that out. Uh, okay, and then I want to wrap up the first ever Fight Talk podcast with a little bit of UFC talk, and uh, <laughs> I just want to talk a little bit about the rumors going around with Floyd Mayweather. Apparently, he's... Uh, talking to Dana White about doing some business deal. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to do Floyd Mayweather boxing in a cage with, I don't know, they were talking about Khabib. They're, maybe they'll do the Conor McGregor rematch in four-ounce gloves. You know, they're going to do some kind of wrinkle on it, but I, I find it hard to believe that Dana White will get involved unless either the UFC is promoting it, they're doing some kind of some kind of wrinkle to make it interesting like if they're maybe they're fighting in a cage maybe they're fighting in small gloves but they got to do some kind of wrinkle to it otherwise I mean if they just have Floyd Mayweather boxing MMA guy in boxing gloves in a ring I don't know what's in it for the UFC and there's no way in hell Floyd Mayweather is going to do some mixed rules grappling all that kind of shit it's just not happening Floyd would get fucking crushed by anybody in the UFC anybody uh, just because his, he has no wrestling, he has no, he has no grappling, and as soon as a fight got to the ground, he would be helpless. I mean, look at James Tony and Randy Couture. I mean, that fight, Tony didn't land a single punch right against James Tony, who's one of the all-time great boxers. And if Floyd came in, it would do no different. He's not going to do a mixed rules thing. He's not going to do any sort of MMA fight. The only thing I could possibly see is maybe they do the McGregor rematch. I don't know if they want to do Khabib. They want to do some kind of uh, MMA fighter versus Floyd. It would have to be like um, MMA gloves, small gloves, or inside a cage, or or something to make it interesting. I don't know what they're up to, but it's probably not going to be as appealing to the hardcore people as they think. But, you know, there might be some crossover appeal either way. Or maybe Floyd's just fucking trolling because he always does this to get media attention. But uh, that was just announced a couple days ago. Uh, They also just announced... Dominic Reyes is going to fight John Jones for the light heavyweight title, which is pretty interesting. I mean, I thought that uh, Dominic Reyes and Johnny Walker were the two sort of new age up-and-comer 205ers who could give John Jones some problems. You could also throw Corey Anderson into the mix, um, you know, because he just beat Johnny Walker. But I think Dominic Reyes stands a pretty good chance. I just checked out his record today. And uh, his last one... 
One, two, three, four. His last four fights are fucking legit, man. Jared Cannonier, he TKO'd him, and that guy's on a tear. Ever since that fight, he went down to middleweight, and he's been ruining people. So that win is starting to look better and better. Then he fought OSP after that. He fought Ozdemir in a split decision win, which was a pretty competitive fight. You know, Ozdemir fought for the title. He kind of shot to the shot to the top of the rankings and didn't really look amazing uh, after that fight, after he got kind of crushed by DC, but still a solid win. And then, uh, you know, in his last fight, he just wrecked Chris Weidman. I, if I'm not mistaken, he pulled. It was like a, a backslip right cross or back, backslip. It might have been a left. I think he's a southpaw. I can't remember. But it was a backslip cross, and he just fucking crushed Chris Weidman. And, uh, you know, these middleweights moving up to 205 so far has not been good because Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold both got just destroyed recently. So it might be time to hang it up for them. But nonetheless, those are good wins. I mean, Chris Weidman was beat Kelvin Gastelum, was it a year ago, year and a half ago, who, uh, you know, just fought Adesanya for the middleweight title. So he still, it seemed like he still had some, some, some tread on the tires. You know, still seems like he had a little bit of mileage left. But uh, Dominic Reyes just starched him. So interesting fight. You know, I think John Jones will still get it done. You can, you can never pick against John Jones. But I also think that uh, it's the correct fight. And Corey Anderson can still get his if John Jones doesn't move up. But, uh, you know, if John Jones moves up, that, <laughs> that light heavyweight division will get really, really interesting because I think a lot of those guys at the top could beat each other. So I think it should be a good fight. And who knows, is John Jones slipping? He's not looked amazing in his last few fights, but then again, he's still pretty much outworked everybody. I thought that that split decision against Tiago Santos excuse me, was kind of bullshit because I thought Jones pretty clearly won, but Santos was firing hard on just no knees both of his knees were fucked so i thought that's quite interesting uh should be a good fight but you know it's a bit of the floyd mayweather syndrome where you don't really know how you just can't really get excited for a john jones fight because he's just been so dominant that at this point most people are paying to watch him lose even though he never loses so it's really hard to ever pick against him and his fights are never really super competitive. He just tends to be quite dominant, with the exception of like the Gustafsson fight, the DC fights in spurts, and then the Tiago Santos fight, which was still, I thought, not so competitive. Um, but they just announced that today. I'll be excited to watch John Jones step in there anyway. He's the best to ever do it. He's, he's the pound-for-pound pound best of all time. I don't think anybody can dispute that with his two wins over Cormier. And then uh, last bit of news for the fight talk, we have Don, uh, sorry, uh, Ben Askren retiring from MMA. A bit, a bit bittersweet on this one because, uh, you know, I always have a soft spot in my heart for the wrestlers, and I actually went and watched his fight with Damian Maya. You know, Damian, as a bunch of you probably know already, Damian Maya came to Stronghold, uh, came to my gym and started training. He did, uh, he just did one, uh, like an hour, hour and a half of training here the week before the fight. He did like four rounds of having people shark tank him, go in and out of them. He did a little bit of striking, some mitt work. He did some grappling. It was really cool seeing Damian Maya train. But, uh, you know, so I also met Ben Askren. I met him when I was in high school wrestling, believe it or not. I went to a big tournament. I think it was the Beast of the East. I can't remember exactly what tournament it was. But I was at a high school tournament for wrestling, and uh, Ben Askren was there. And I actually, met, I actually got to meet him. And, you know, he was all around the wrestling scene. This would have been when he was dominating in college. I mean, he was a two-time national champion. The guy was undefeated in MMA for like 10 years. He won the Bellator title. And he beat some good guys in Bellator. 
and he won the one title and, you know, beat Robbie Lawler in that really controversial fight. And then, you know, he had some two two tough fights in a row. But Ben Askren deserves all the respect. Everybody kind of shits on him a little bit, and everybody's trolling him since he lost. But the guy did work, man. 19-2 and two record. He did work. I was kind of sad to see him retire, but he probably needed to. He probably needed to. Apparently, he needs a hip replacement or something like that, which in wrestling is quite common because those are, those are serious injuries. You're getting splayed out all the time, sprawled on 20 year plus years of wrestling will definitely jack your hips up so kind of a bummer to see him retire but I also think it was probably the the correct move you know I think he came in to be champion or not and I think at this point he's 35 36 I think the writing is pretty much on the wall that he's not going to win a championship unless he wants to go through another four or five fight grind with elite level people that he may or may not be able to beat in the UFC um so, you know, yeah, I think he's kind of done. So I got to see him fight for his last time, which was kind of cool. And I thought the Damian Maya fight was good. I thought it was competitive. I still think Ben Askren could beat a lot of the top people, but I don't think he can go on a long enough winning streak against elite-level competition to actually get a title. So I think for him, probably something that needed to be done. But, uh, you know, all the best to Ben Askren moving forward. I think he's going to be a pretty good commentator. He's going to be a really good wrestling coach, which he's already doing, and I think that's where his his interests lie. But... uh you know, one FC got the steal of the century, man. One championship got the steal with Demetrius Johnson. I mean, how's that trade looking? They traded one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport for Ben Askren, who basically went one and two in the UFC and then retired. I mean, Demetrius Johnson's still doing work. They could have had the they could have had the Henry Cejudo rematch. There's all these potential interesting fights they could have at flyweight or bantamweight. You know, I think DJ also wanted out. I think he was ready to. You know, I mean, he's making big money. I would assume he's making more money than he was in the UFC. His fights aren't as difficult as they would be in the UFC, but they're not easy. He's had competitive fights. So I think it was a win-win for him because the the fight with Cejudo was razor close. A lot of people thought he won. He clearly dominated him, knocked him out, finished him in the first fight. So in my eyes, DJ still has the, the... He's still above Cejudo in the overall landscape because he finished him in the first fight and the second fight was a razor close split decision that a lot of people thought DJ lost or uh, DJ won. I think that they only gave Cejudo that win because again, the Floyd Mayweather complex, he was so dominant for so long that when he, when he even got hit, taken down trip for a minute, everyone just like their head exploded because he got taken down for a second. But Cejudo never really controlled him. He never really did any damage. There wasn't anything like that. He just, you know, he was able to scramble. He was able to put him on his butt occasionally, and he was able to land a little bit on the feet. But, I mean, I think the damage that Demetrius Johnson did in the first round with the calf kick where Cejudo was limping all over the place, you know, Cejudo never really controlled him in that second fight. He just kind of took him down, and then he would quickly pop back up. So I think Demetrius still gets the nod over Cejudo and the overall uh the overall sort of historical landscape, and I think he knows that. And I think he's making more money at one, and I think uh, I think Demetrius Johnson won that trade. I think one and Demetrius Johnson won that trade because so far hasn't planned out for Askren. I think he did what he needed to do. He brought people to the table. He was the most talked-about fighter when he was fighting on those cards, which is crazy for like a kind of a, you know, a leg-humping wrestler, which was basically his style. But the guy knew how to move the needle. You know, he did his... He did what he was told to do. He sold the fights. And everybody thought he could beat those people. 
you know, and maybe just all it would have taken was one missed flying knee and maybe his whole career could have changed. If he had just missed that flying knee, slipped off a little bit to the left, got the takedown, Masvidal can't get up. The second round, he's a little tired. He's less explosive. He gets taken down again. I mean, listen, if they do that fight 10 times, I think Ben Askren can definitely take Masvidal down and uh, choke him out. Or not even choke him out, but just just finish him. Uh, sorry, <laughs> not finish him, but he can grind him out. He could potentially finish him too, put him in that headlock of doom. I think that Ben Askren could beat, could win that fight. I also think that Ben Askren could beat Maya. I mean, that wasn't the way that it worked, but, you know, what could have been if he just slipped his head to the right a little bit, dodged that knee, wouldn't have had to fight Maya, could have been fighting for a title. I mean, the thing could have been very different for him. But, uh, you know, revisionist history isn't a thing. And in the world we live in today, Ben Askren's retiring. Uh, I thought he's done good work, man. He was a great, great champion while it lasted. Good shit talker, funny dude. And, uh, yeah, that's it, guys. I'm going to wrap up the... First ever Fight Talk podcast. We got some one championship in there. We got some boxing. We got some UFC. Uh, guys, this podcast is available on YouTube. It's available on Spotify. It's available on Pocket Cast. It's available on Apple. Uh, I'm going to release these two separately. So I'm meeting Shinya soon. We're going to do the normal Stronghold podcast. Let me know if you like this format. Let me know if you want me to keep doing it like this. Um, if you want me to keep separating it like this so you purists get only the Fight Talk and no filler, none of my political leanings or any of that bullshit. So if you like this, let me know. We'll keep it going forward. Uh, forward. Keep, keep commenting. Keep letting me know. Darren Tay, thanks for the thanks for the comments. If you're uh, as long as you're not a hater, I appreciate it. Even if you are a hater, I appreciate you because basically changed the show from you. So thank you for commenting. And uh, that's basically it, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back soon with Shinya. This is the Stronghold Podcast Fight Talk Episode One. Peace.